0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the twenty fourth of January, twenty twenty four, with myself Shajeel Ahmed and also Abdul Halim as well with me. As-salamu alaykum peace be upon you. Good morning and. uh Thank you for joining joining with me. <laughs> Peace and
1: <laughs> blessings of Allah be upon you and all of our listeners. Um, yeah, it's just a very windy morning, I should say. Um, not just the morning, but I think the whole week has been really windy, and we've just been flying
0: all over the place. It has been quite windy, and was, there was a, there was an amber alert. Was oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Alert. there was a warning. Uh, as right? Well, there was a warning as well. Yeah, because of the because of that also.
1: Exactly. Even even today, when I just stepped outside my house, the my bin was just on the other side <laughs> of the road. So I had to go
0: and run and pick that up quickly. No, but I think one one good thing is that because it rained, um, yeah, you know, so it did calm it down. Well. So, so, yeah. so it calmed it calmed it down as well. Yeah. And the weather the, or the temperature has has actually increased, increased significantly yeah. from the Where, past
1: week yeah. or, or two weeks before. Yeah. When you were dropping your kids off to school yeah, in the morning, literally. it was
0: just—it it was a—it was a nightmare. It was, a nightmare. and it was so—it was really—it was freezing, literally. It was literally freezing. It was freezing. And, uh, and minus degrees of, as
1: well. Yeah, it was like minus five at yeah, one point. Yeah, it was at night times
0: and in the morning. And then your
1: kids become extra lazy. They don't feel like going to school because the—the journey is so cold. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true.
1: So, so everything kind of.
0: But I think you know one good thing out of this is that it, it is getting a bit warmer. Yeah, of so course. so of right course. now I think the and and your windscreen in the morning of the car the is not screen, frozen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that you know yeah, for, exactly. for some for some older cars it might take a bit longer yeah. for it to defrost. Literally. But uh, you know there are some a few hacks here yeah. and there to to actually get, yeah. to, to get it to get it to you can get to time. Get to time. Yeah, um, the the weather according to the BBC today will be partly cloudy with showers in scotland Br- bright mostly bright elsewhere but the odd shower in northern ireland turning cloudy in so- in the south with patchy rain in the afternoon it'll be windy but easing a little bit later on as well but tonight there will be cloud and rain and that will spread across southern england and Wales, reaching northern ireland by dawn And elsewhere skies will turn clear for a time but cloudier in the west by dawn as well. Now tomorrow it will be there will be brightness in the north and east, and that will be replaced by cloudy skies for all. Outbreaks of rain will move in, at times turning to snow on the Scottish Hill at first, becoming quite windy. Mm. And the outlook for Friday the outlook for Friday to Sunday, on Friday there will be showers to the northwest, some falling wintry, but elsewhere Will be dry, and also bright. Cloud building through Saturday as outbreaks of rain move on to north and west. Mostly dry with sunshine in the southeast. A little colder. Cloud and spells of rain across northern <coughs> northern areas on Sunday. And A milder day on the south in the south with variable cloud and some sunny spells as well. So yes. a bit decent here. Yeah. You know, so
1: temperature is getting to a very decent. Yeah. I mean, uh, looking, I'm looking at the numbers. temperature right
0: now. It's about going to be thirteen degrees. Tomorrow 12 degrees, yeah, and then it's, it's gonna sort of stay. The average is gonna be sort of 9, 10. Yeah. It's gonna be double figures, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. double figures, yeah. hopefully. And uh, which is odd, which actually.
1: Is, for, it's good, though. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. very good, but it's odd for Britain to have this kind of um, weather in the January season. Mm, I mean, we. we uh, remember, it usually snows yeah. around this time, right. Yeah, that's true. Even February, true. So I remember it snowed February. But I think
0: ago. I think this year has been really, you know, it has been cold. It has been cold. And uh, the the temperature, if you if you talk about the temperature, I don't really remember here in 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 London, mm-hmm. right, it being minus three, four, four five, yeah, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. five. That's true. I don't actually remember. The thing is, if even you when it snows, it's not like true, that. True. 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 It, it didn't snow But it was it so was, cold uh, Last year it did snow yeah. But this year It didn't snow
1: But it, it was mm, I mean here in, here
0: in London But the temperature was yeah.
1: But the thing uh, is If you yeah. remember even, even in the summer It was very hot Like last extremely year, yeah. hot yeah. And now in the winter It was very cold
0: yeah. Extremely cold it, in, t- in 2023 That was Since records began yeah, 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 That exactly. was the hottest yeah, year Exactly
1: So I don't know Maybe global warming Is playing a part
0: I it's mean, that's, the thing. that's why that's why they're calling it. That's why they changed the name, isn't it? From global warming to to climate change, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not just about getting warmer. It's about the, the when, it's, when, it, when, changed, when, yeah, when when it's then it gets colder. When it's warmer, it gets warmer. Exactly. And if you realize that the the seasons are li- a little bit shifting as well, they're going a little bit yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So where November, December, January was like December, sort of like the proper cold. Yeah uh it's moving a bit forward, before yeah, right? yeah. like, to January, February. Yeah. And I can't remember a couple of years ago. it Even snowed quite heavily in March. Yeah. And uh, if you talk about it snowing in March, a couple of decades ago, it would be it a bit odd of, because yeah, yeah because it would, that, that would be spring so it's, season. It's
1: the right name to give climate change, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, but, it's, it's quite interesting because some some leaders. Some world leaders don't even believe in yeah, it. Yeah, don't believe in it. Yeah, it's quite funny, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, there's a, a lot hilarious. of theories out there, isn't there's it? A lot of th- I You've mean, uh, obviously, how Dion much can research. you believe in a in a conspiracy theory? <laughs> yeah, isn't it? So it's uh, you know some some people, the say something to look brand at. something as yeah. something, uh, fake news or whatever. <laughs> so it's it's a bit interesting in in terms of that. Yeah, talking about such politicians and such. Uh, Prime ministers and you leaders know, presidents and presidents and this yeah. and that. Donald Trump yeah. wins the new Hampshire Republican presidency uh, yeah. primary, yeah, and that's what the BBC's uh, US partner and what, CBS has, uh, you know, reports as well. Yeah,
1: funny enough, when I was driving to um, um the Bush Islam, yeah, studios, yeah, the discussion that was taking place was that would Donald Trump, um, coming into presidency make the world a safer place. Mm. That was the discussion that was taking place. So people are assuming that if he does become the president, somehow the world will become a safer place and it will move more towards harmony and peace. And Mm. as uh, the Voice of Islam radio, and we're uh, obviously promoting the message of the promised Messiah, I was just thinking that no matter who comes uh, as the leader or as the um, president mm. of the world, of the yeah. uh, United States of America. The only way our khalif, uh, Hazrat Mizar Masroor Ahmed, um, helper, has always stated that the only way the world can reach peace and harmony is if we recognize our creator. Yeah, yeah. And fulfill our rights to our creator and to uh, uh, our fellow brothers, the rights mm-hmm. for our fellow brothers. Of course. So, yeah, I, I don't think any leader, uh, until they don't, um, actually fulfill the rights and yeah. follow the teachings yeah. of Islam and other obviously there's uh, good teachings in other religions as well um, true peace cannot be reached so it was just this discussion that they were having and some people do believe that if he does mm. come into presidency he will stop wars as rightly so because he did when he was the president the uh, president of the United States there were not any wars at that time in the Middle East yeah, in the Middle East or anywhere else yeah. He did. he did try to promote peace but for him to be the saviour of the world, I don't think that can happen until we actually truly follow the teachings of the Holy Prophet, of the promised Messiah. Yeah. And the Quran.
0: I mean that that is one hundred percent true as well. The global harmony or global peace can can only be established by Islamic teachings. Exactly. And if those Islamic teachings and principles are adhered to. Yeah. Now it's very there's a very simple teaching in the Holy Quran Allah the Almighty states that, you know, the, the servants of the gracious God are those people who walk in the earth in a dignified manner. Yeah, in humility. Yeah. In humility, in a dignified manner, yeah. in, in, in this way. Exactly. And not just that, but when the ignorant people talk to them and address them, when they abuse them, they say nothing else but mm, peace. But peace, exactly. That's exactly, exactly. What they, that's exactly what they do. And
1: you see the conflict that's happening around the world right now. It's a bit tit for tat, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. If, exactly you've done this yeah, after You've done this
0: you know this this war is happening yeah I mean we we didn't even finish the the Ukraine and the, and the Russia war that's still ongoing <laughs> yeah that's still going but on that's still, that's still ongoing exactly. and then we have another yeah a, a major war which yeah. is happening which has been going on for decades mm. for I, I yeah. understand that but it's coming up a little bit more right it's, now the yeah. Palestine the Gaza exactly. and the whole Israel yeah. war as well. and now instead of instead of the muslim countries or the so-called Muslim countries coming together and uh, uniting and mm. being and saying to Israel and other countries as well, the states that, you know, don't say anything to Palestine. Yeah. They're, they're our friends. They're our neighbors. Why, why abuse, do you, yeah. the, they're going to war with with each other. Exactly. Look at Iran, Iran's bombing, and, and, Pakistan, and, and Pakistan. bombing. <laughs> exactly. Well, why? What, what and is the, all and, of this?
1: And, and, and then uh, when a country does stand up, to say no, enough is enough. Yeah. For example, Yemen. Yeah. They've said, look, until you don't stop the genocide, the abuse on the Palestinians, we will not let your ships Yeah, your cargo ships and import. Yeah. So you should stop. And rather than them coming to an agreement and stopping the abuse and the killings of the, of the children and the innocent people in Palestine, yeah. what are they doing? What's UK and US doing? Yeah. They are bombing yeah. Yemen in return. Because the sending in they, the ammunition yeah, and all of that. Exactly. Because they want their ships to go through and their economy to keep flourishing. But not thinking about um, the killings and the and the destruction that's taking place in Palestine. Yeah. They don't want to stop that. <laughs> but rather they want to go and um say no, let our ships go through. Yeah. And then we
0: will think about it. And then it. we'll think yeah. then we'll think about it, isn't it? Exactly. It's, well I mean what do you what well, what do what is the list of things? Zero two zero eight, six, eight, seven, seven, eight, seven, eight um, call us tell us what you think about this as well because there is a lot of conflict a lot, a lot of tension yeah. going on in the world how do you think you can we can come up with a with a solution we're going to be we're going to be talking about this particular topic anyway yeah in uh, in in our show a little bit later on we're talking about what does the future hold for Gaza once the war comes to an end and I mean first of all hopefully we can only hope and pray that it does come to an end, yeah. isn't it? And there is a solution, a peaceful solution, for for all parties which are involved, and exactly. especially the victims of the you know the Gazans, yeah. the people that are living over there, the civilians, the children, the the women, the old people, all of the people that are living over there, the innocent, mm. the innocent lives which have been killed and hurt and bruised. What's how is it their fault? How is it their fault? So many hundreds and thousands of people have been displaced. And uh, nearly, nearly as
1: well. the, the whole of the population in Gaza has been displaced now. There,
0: yeah, that, uh, that that's the situation now. Literally, isn't
1: it? two million, two million people, and 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 just over twenty-five thousand have been killed now.
0: Yeah.
1: So that is the situation over there. That's the
0: situation over there. That's the that's the problem. So that's why I want to get your input in this as all Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight and towards the latter part of the show we are going to be talking about education and how yeah. the you know the international day of education as well we're going to be t- talking about the the importance of education and why why it's even more important to educate the 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 whole population ter- in in terms of if we talk about here in the developed world right yeah. in the first world country education is sort of part and parcel of mm-hmm. our lives we don't even think about education we don't even have to think about us exactly. or our children going into education because we know that the government has provided schools for us and we don't mm-hmm. even have to pay for it mm-hmm. but in third world countries they don't have that facility they don't have that facility unless you have money to send your children mm-hmm. to to, to primary school or really secondary high. school yeah. yeah like you said the, the fees are, are so high that some people have to literally work their yeah. put, put in elbow grease into mm-hmm. their work and save up the money so that exactly. they can ch- send their children to school. Yeah. So it's, sometimes it's you know it's a, it's a difficult situation mm-hmm. when it comes to developing countries. And we, d- we need countries. to
1: keep that in mind that in here, in, this, in 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 the West, especially, we're yeah. really fortunate. Yeah, 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 we are. But the education system—we take it for granted. Yeah, exactly. That S- it's very. We need to be very grateful that we have this opportunity where our kids can just go to school, Absolutely. have the basic education. In yeah. some countries, they don't even have the basic education. Kids are outside working. At the time when they should be in mm. school, yeah,
0: so it's really something to think about.: there is one thing when, when we talk about when we talk about education as well, there's very exploitation as well. a lot of you know big, big companies, CEOs, all of these big firms, they come into these third world countries, these developing countries, and then they they say, "Oh, we're going to get well, do this for us, and we'll give you this amount of money," and then the children are forced. To, to, yeah, to work to work the right. the women child the the child, yeah child labor mm. what what have mm. you you can say you, you can say you know sometimes they have to mine different things mm. different minerals different Literally. different uh metals think, or whatever or they have to a, there's a very do other
1: things big crisis that's going on in congo right now yeah. just so um we could get batteries on our phones there's a yeah the, yeah, yeah phones yeah. that we're all holding that's in front yeah. of you in front of me um, just because, so we can have these luxuries over there, children and the population over there are suffering because yeah. of that. There's millions being displaced. I think if just, and and it links well in with that topic, the education topic, it links well with the suffering topic and the Gaza topic. Yeah. As in more education that we received, more it's the lack of knowledge, right? In the yeah. that that we don't have, because we don't know what the bigger picture is, what yeah, what is going on around bigger the world. Is, exactly. Exactly. So more education we get, more uh, knowledge that we receive, we'll be able to um, help the world in a better way. Absolutely. Open up our eyes. What's actually happening? You know,
0: happening. it's uh, so- sometimes it's uh, it's also the the it's also because they they're not getting paid, mm-hmm. they're not getting paid, and or they're not getting paid quick enough. Now, if you're if you're employing someone, if you're hiring someone for a particular job that you want them to do but you don't pay them at, at the right time, or you don't even pay them at all, or you pay them so late mm. that it becomes difficult for them to even survive, that can that particular issue can be resolved by the teachings of Islam. How okay. is that? Because the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that you should pay your worker yeah. before his sweat even dries. Yeah, exactly. Now, just, just imagine that. Someone's in, working. Literally. Someone's working all day, and uh, you know they're sweating. Before that sweat dries, mm. you should leave the money in their hand.
1: Even before he finishes the job, basically near, near the end of his job, you should
0: he yeah. should have that money. He in should his have
1: hand. that money in his hand.
0: Exactly. F- that is that is the teachings of Islam. And how beautiful is that? Mm. It's unfortunate exactly. that that people do not follow this teaching. It's, it's unfortunate yeah. that that people it, it, don't take heed to this yeah. as well.
1: And 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 that's why the promised Messiah, uh, on whom be peace, actually came because yeah. people have forgotten this teaching. Exactly. In this world, so God had to send the reformer to remind us how beautiful actually the teaching of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is, yeah. and and to go into detail of that teaching.
0: That's uh, that's exactly what it is. There's there's been some uh, breaking news in terms of the the Royal Mail, okay. and uh, they they said that they could reduce the number of letter deliveries from six. Per week to five or three instead. Mm-hmm. Under the options to reform the UK's postal services, oh, you know the, the Royal Mail was going through some some backlash a couple yeah. of days ago as well. The report from regulator says that postal services was getting out of date, and action needed to be taken. Ofcom said that another reform option could include extending the number of days it takes for most letters to be delivered. The Royal Mail has said uh, previously it was simply not sustainable to maintain its current delivery network mm. yeah that's why you see a lot of other companies coming in now isn't exactly. it exactly that, that that, the that they that companies. they deliver delivery co- mm. delivery companies they got competition now they got competition now yeah. before it was you know just one or two just companies. one of them yeah. yeah but now now because there's a lot of competition and they've been going through a rough patch as well because yeah. of some of the things that they okay. did it's, uh, they put the, I, I would say they put themselves in, into a difficult position yeah. as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because they were lacking in some aspects. Yeah. And then people saw that <laughs> it's an opportunity for us to strike, and then now they are regretting it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some other news that some of our listeners and you might be interested in is regarding Netflix.
0: Yeah, I saw that as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: The password uh, crackdown. Um, Netflix has actually said that because of this crackdown now they've added 13.1 million more subscription in three months so right. in the three months ended in December so now they've added 13.1 million more subscription because mm. of this crackdown, because, of this crackdown. Yeah. because obviously everyone was just sharing their That's passwords lot, families yeah. someone was living yeah. in another country but still was sharing the password with the same yeah. account <laughs> but because they've cracked down on this they've gained a lot of uh,
0: uh, followers is followers. Personally, I, I believe it's uh, it's just a money Obviously. revenue scheme, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, they, they 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 were going a bit down. Yeah, but they they, but they succeeded on this. They succeeded yeah. on this as well
1: because they know that there's a high demand of Netflix. Everyone will want an account, and I think they've they've lowered their prices as well. They've bec- they've they've come up with a cheaper alternative, as in, right, um, a package where I think it doesn't show the streams in 4K in 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 a lower quality. Mm. And people are going for that option because it's cheaper. Right. Which which does kind of work out because obviously people don't want to play, pay the amount that they were paying before. Because it is quite, yeah, it quite, quite expensive. Yeah,
0: yeah, it is quite expensive. But that's why you've got a lot of other yeah. stream exactly. streaming um, platforms platforms as well. as well, isn't it? Yeah, there's it's a lot. Competition, again, it's, it's right? competition again. there's competition again. There's competition everywhere.
1: Healthy competition. It's good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> not for the pocket. Yeah, not for the pocket. <laughs> not, for the pocket. It's not healthy for the pockets. <laughs> no, not at, all, not at all, Now, in other in other news as well, we were talking about politicians and how much they they because they're, obviously they are the leaders of the country, right? Hmm. They need to be absolutely. They need to show justice. Justice. That is the, is the way for them to for them to rule. Exactly. That is the way for them to make different policies and do and do their job. Yeah. Now, there's the BBC reports that a senior Tory MP has called for his party to replace Rishi Sunak as prime minister, to be massacred in the general election. And uh, in in an article in The Telegraph, former Cabinet Secretary Sir Simon Clark said that the conservatives mm-hmm. needed a, a leader who shares the instincts, instincts of the majority. That's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. He said Sir Simon, who rebelled on the Rwanda bill, said that a party has lost key voters by failing to, to be bold on immigration and government reform. And the general election is expected, to be expected in the second half of this year. The The latest, the next election, could legally be held in 28th January 2025. 2025? Yeah. Oh. Um, but uh, Sir Simon is now the second former minister publicly calling for Rishi Sunak to resign. Mm-hmm. Former education minister... Dame Andre submitted a letter of no confidence as the prime minister in November and uh, it's it's interesting because conservative MPs can only trigger a leadership election if 53 MPs write to the chair of the 1922 committee requesting one and so, so some con- yeah some some MPs are actually saying that Rishi should Rishi should, should, should resign from,
1: from from the conservative party yeah yeah uh, mm-hmm. as as the prime minister
0: that's but only you,
1: you mentioned only fifty three. If the, a number rises yeah. to fifty three, then if, they
0: if can. The, if if fifty three MPs write, okay, to the to to the, to the committee requesting mm-hmm. requesting mm-hmm. to, in no confidence, ah. right? So it's uh, so it's interesting as well. But we is it, it the reason why I say it's interesting because the 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 the, pr, the person who we voted in, hmm. was he David Cameron, yeah, exactly. After that, there's been a long chain, I mean, yeah. you know, of the Theresa May's, yeah. of the Boris Johnson's, um, of this and that, and uh, Liz Truss. Liz Truss is yeah. all for that what one well, month one or month whatever, or <laughs> exactly. forty days or something, and then and then and then Rishi Sunak. Yeah. So we haven't actually we voted for voted in for the person that we, want. person yeah, that we exactly. wanted, and but then you know well, we're so proud to be a democracy. Yeah, we 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 are so proud, and all these <laughs> nations are so proud we're the sense, champions right? of democracy see, but then we now, haven't yeah. even voted the prime minister in for for about half a decade yeah maybe more than country, that yeah um
1: and then and then on the other hand we say we're a democratic country and then when we call for a ceasefire yeah then what happens yeah then the, that's what happens the, the leaders don't listen and they go the
0: opposite direction the the thing is is that when there's when there's hypocrisy anyway exactly right and when there's double standards anyway i'm not just talking about in the in the government or <laughs> the, mm. the politics or whatever if there's double standards if there's hypocrisy then then you people people are not stupid people can tell yeah. people can see for their own eyes yeah. what is happening and exactly. what these people uh what their agenda is exactly. they say one thing but when the other nation does it it's it's completely yeah, fine it's compl- yeah it's completely fine <laughs> literally literally like and it's another yeah.
1: It's, yeah as in for them the rules are different
0: yeah you know, there's a, to 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 resolve this as all, well, the the Holy Quran actually says, Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran that why do you say that what you don't do yourself, yeah. and in the eyes of God Almighty, is it is a very bad thing yeah. that you say that thing or that particular thing that mm. you don't even do yourself. Literally. Now, Literally. if if this is a basic, this is a basic principle in Islam, yeah. in, in Islam, and for for leaders especially. Those people who are in authority doesn't mm. matter what you you might be a boss you might be a CEO you might be a uh, you might be a pr- prime minister you might be a president whatever if you have people under you and you're not leading by example mm. you're you're the role model you're right? the role model exactly obviously you're gonna get people that are saying you know what I don't believe in this guy I have no trust in this guy and I want I want this person to 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 resign or or I want to I want this person to be replaced. Mm. But obviously, if you're if you're doing your job properly, if you're if you're giving the due right to the people yeah. that are under you, your constituents, then only then when you, are people actually going to be in favor mm. of you as Speci- well, isn't
1: it? Especially the leaders. Um, especially
0: we have this. Um, they sh- they should
1: keep in mind that at the end of the day, <clears throat> everyone's going to pass away, and they're going to be asked yeah. of what they've done, and they've been giving this responsibility from God. To lead their yeah. people yeah. And they will be asked if, if, they, if, they, if they led them in a correct manner Or were they just mm. Or were they not yeah. So again in Islam If you're a Muslim And you, you have the chance Of becoming a leader of your nation Then you will have to keep in mind That at the end of the day I will be asked um, the, exactly. the, the second caliph of, uh, of Islam Hazrat Umar mm. He always kept this in mind even if um, a, a dog was lying on a, a street right. because he was hungry, he was concerned that at the end of the day, when we pass away and we go to our Lord, yeah. I will be asked mm. why was even an animal hungry when yeah. I was leading the nation? Yeah. So he used to have this in mind. So if we look at the great leaders in Islam and we follow their, uh, their example, their, yeah. their, their example the world will become the world will definitely become yeah exactly. become a exactly. better
0: place exactly very it's, very beautifully said. It's there. just that we have to keep that in mind, right? So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're going to be taking a very short break, and then we'll come back and we'll get into our first segment, which is about the the ongoing war which is happening in Gaza. And uh, obviously, if you have anything to contribute to the show, the number to call in, as always, is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. We'll be back after a short
2: break.
3: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB by the internet, 24 hours a day.
0: عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال:
4: <تصفيق> لو يعلم المؤمن ما عند الله من العقوبة ما طمع بجنته أحد، ولو يعلم الكافر ما عند الله من الرحمة ما قلط من جنته أحد. Hazrat. Hazrat Abu Hurairah narrates that the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, If a believer were to know the punishment in hell, none would have the audacity to aspire for paradise, but he would earnestly desire to be rescued from hell. And if a non-believer were to know what is there with Allah as a mercy, none would have been disappointed
5: in regard to paradise. With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet Alaihi ﷺ, Let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding, yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said that no white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab rather everyone is equal he freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers he did all of this because he was sent as the lil alameen a mercy for mankind indeed the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was a true man of peace Allah.
3: The
2: Voice of Islam
0: Radio.
3: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day
0: a new station assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh peace and blessings of allah be upon you all welcome back to the breakfast show here on the voice of islam radio as mentioned before the break we're going to be talking about the what what, what the future holds for gaza yeah and uh especially after the after the war as well, so it, it's something which it, we are optimistic mm. that this war is going to finish, and this war is going to end, and there's a good, there's a good and peaceful solution for for all parties mm-hmm. as well. But it's something that we need to look at because in the aftermath of of the war in Gaza, the focus inevitably shifts towards the people which are affected, yeah. and like we spoke about before as well, it's a lot of people have been displaced. Communities face the difficult task of rebuilding their lives amidst their physical and emotional scars that that that, that have been left yeah. behind, and that we you know, we can't even imagine you what what, they, what they've gone
1: through. We actually can't,
0: yeah. It's they they're in such a difficult position that we can't we can't even fathom it. Mm-hmm. Now the resilience and strength of the individuals in, in you know in, in, in Gaza become so important and so pivotal. As they strive to 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 overcome all of the challenges that they that they that they're facing and that they, they faced mm-hmm. and that they're facing right now, rebuilding relationships, restoring a sense of normality in their mm-hmm. daily lives, the international so, community's support and empathy play a crucial role in actually helping the people of Gaza mm-hmm. to navigate the the complexities of post-war recovery.
1: Especially, you know, the resilience yeah. and the strength that
0: you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, you know.
1: It's so clear to see how much uh, resilience they actually have and how much faith these people in Palestine actually have in their hearts. Because even though their children are dying, Mm. their loved ones are dying, their parents are passing away, the only thing that comes out of their mouth is God is sufficient for us. And uh, all praise be to God. And it's a lesson for all the Muslims out mm. there in the world it's just yeah. even, even today it's, that's amazing to exactly, see it's, it's, exactly yeah. it's just it's yeah. heartbreaking obviously but it is yeah but the faith that they have if we can strive for that
0: hmm.
1: that will be amazing but I don't know how we will be able to cope if we were put into that situation hmm. but you know it also says that God only tests those that are able to bear the the test yeah and maybe they are being tested because God knows that they are able to bear it. That they can exactly bear it. Burden that shoulder. Exactly. It
0: is is interesting. It is interesting because we see that those people who are facing the the, who are literally out there on the ground level literally facing these uh, these bombs Mm. and these shootings and all of these things they're in such a difficult position. Imagine if you're hurt or imagine if your if your child is hurt and you take them to the hospital, but the hospital has no electricity. Literally. And
1: you're on the floor. And Your child on is floor. on the
0: floor. Uh, what can you do? And is
1: waiting for a doctor to come and look at him. Yeah. But there is no doctor available because they're busy with other patients. Busy with other patients. Exactly. It's just, I don't know, it's just hard to fathom what they're actually going through.
0: You know, it's one thing which uh, which has come in, into the news as well is that women who have who are pregnant and they gave yeah, birth exactly. without yeah. without any sort of uh, painkillers exactly and imagine that imagine one thing is giving birth that which yeah, is difficult exactly. anyway yeah. without any painkillers but another thing is to have c section cesarean exactly but imagine that without <laughs> It's but just, I, I can't even I yeah, can't even imagine that exactly
1: especially us us as men we can't yeah. imagine the pain that the women are going through yeah. but then on top of that if you're going to have an operation it's just
0: it's just I mean any sort of operation but especially yeah. if
1: you're getting cut up and then then the aid the aid trucks are not being let through hmm. to the country so they can get these supplies it's just I don't know so what the world's it's, come to it's, it's,
0: it's, it's chaos isn't it and then the 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 thing is is that some nation or some nations leaders, yeah. some party leaders as well. They, when asked about, is this, you know, do you believe that this is this this is deserved? They say mm. yes. We th- they deserve that yeah, because of true. what happened because of the initial stage yeah. the initial attack that exactly. they that they did exactly in October.
1: But, that, or, but October. what they, what they they believe is a proportional uh, response. the attacks on uh, October 7th Mm. as they mentioned it's just it's it's completely false because you see the figures first of all the figures were initially 1400 then it came down to 1200 Mm. and then they said the majority of the civilians that died were not even caused by um, Hamas by by Hamas yeah but rather it was caused by the um, IDF who were um, attacking trying to respond to the Hamas military Um, And now... They got caught in a ceasefire. They got caught in a ceasefire. So what's right, what's wrong, it's just all over the place. Yeah. And because because of these attacks that have been taking place on the Palestinians, uh, I recently saw a video that um, there was this person who just lost his mother and Mm. uh, father. Mm. And he was saying, I used to hate Hamas. Right. So the whole point is to eradicate Hamas. Right, and and now, yeah, yeah. that 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 that's that's the whole issue. That's what they 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 keep saying that we want to eradicate Hamas, Hamas, and that's why we are attacking. And now, these people who are in Palestine, they say that look, we don't. I used to hate Hamas, but now what the Israeli IDF are doing to us, they love Hamas Mm. because they're the only one that's rising up against them. Mm. And what's being taking place on their family, on their loved ones so rather than them not creating any more Hamas um, uh, uh, people hmm. they are promoting it now
0: they're promoting it now and that's the thing isn't it that's the thing when when you see when you look around and you see that you're being attacked yeah. you're being attacked not just yeah. not just today and today and yesterday yeah. but for for weeks now yeah. not even weeks for months, months now yeah, for months exactly it's been
1: more than 110 it's, days now it's,
0: Literally and non-stop, you, non-stop. Yeah, uh, you, there's literally no place that you can you literally. can go. And how how are you going to go out? And you see where videos, are you going to go?
1: yeah. You see videos of, uh, of of groups walking and running with white flags, saying, "Look, they're they they're not any harm to anyone." Yeah, and they and end uh, up with uh, a bullet. Yeah, it's just that's crazy.
0: That's, that's the situation that they're in. Yeah, and it's as if, and obviously, when you when you're in that sort of situation. And you see that other countries are not helping you. Exactly. Or they're helping you but they're raising their voices, or they're trying to raise their voices, but nothing actually is being done on the ground level, you're obviously going to get frustrated. Yeah. And of and obviously then you, you you would turn. You would turn to these other nations as well. If you being a Muslim country. Mm. You turn to other Muslim countries Neighboring countries as well You say, come on Lend us yeah. a helping hand exactly. out here
1: The thing is I've, I've seen videos of these people now They're saying They don't want any help From mm. these Arab nations anymore yeah. Only God is enough for them and God is Because they are watching them suffer And they're not, doing they're, not, they're not doing anything And the Khalif of our community Has said again and again That the only way We can have a peaceful society Is if all the Arab nations
0: Or the Muslim nations Get together get as together one Get together as one As one whole nation Exactly Right it's just the, but you know the, if if that ever happens, yeah, hopefully it it does, yeah, God willing yeah. but if you know if if it happens then 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 his Holiness has also said that no none of these people, none of the other nations would even dare to lift a finger exactly. Exactly. Because they will see that the whole Muslim nation are, is are, 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 one. Yeah. Is they're one. together. They're together.
1: But here they are fighting against yeah. one another yeah. for their own interests. They're, I mean, they're sold, isn't it? Some exactly. of them are sold.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could so, say, <laughs> say that, isn't it? And it's it, it, like we mentioned before as well, when you're it's talking about topic. the news. It's, uh, it's a deep topic. Yeah. When you were talking about before that, the, some of them they for petty matters it's a tit for tat that yeah. you know one one nation is just attacking another nation yeah. Why? Yeah, for, why for, for what's the yeah. uh, what's actually you don't actually want to go to war with exactly. them so why why are they attacking each other as well why is Iran bombing Pakistan why is Pakistan
1: and then you have Saudi Arabia and Yemen that conflict has been going on for that conflict has been going on for
0: so many yeah. years now
1: so, Muslim against Muslim. Muslim against if Muslim. they get together as one, who? <laughs> such a big nation, mm.
0: no one can no one be can, able to no do one, anything. Exactly. That's why the Caliph of our community, the mm. fifth Caliph of the province, on mm. Pahmuhammbi Peace, he has also been saying for so many years now that it is only when the nations unite exactly. that is the only time where we can actually flourish. Mm. Otherwise, the Western nations, they they're readily, they're, they're, they're easy, they're, they're going to attack us very easily. It's not just about it's not just about going to war and defence and all of that It's mm. not just about that it's just about if you see a nation is one, the whole nations have come together mm. that is a mighty power exactly and we're not saying that oh we we we're going to try and rule the whole world that's not the whole point that's mm. not the, what the point is. The point is that we want peace to be established Exactly. and if you look at you, it's a good thing you mentioned that Muslims are killing Muslims yeah. because The Holy Prophet of Islam The Holy Prophet Muhammad Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him He has said that A true Muslim is that person From whose tongue And hands Other Muslims are safe Safe, exactly And over here I mean that's what the Holy Prophet Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said But look at these people Look at these Muslim nations Or so-called Muslim nations They're attacking one another They're killing one another Hmm. And one Muslim is being attacked Or one nation is being attacked The other is just watching Exactly Exactly I mean, we have different countries such as Ireland. They're raising their voices. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, good on them. Very yeah. good. But what? What? You know, what about the neighboring country? What? What, what are they doing? Mm. And that's why they're getting frustrated and they're saying, you know, what? Well, forget these people. Yeah, we don't need. We them. don't need them. Yeah. All we need is God, and God exactly. is sufficient for us. Exactly. And it obviously, should. it's not it shows the level of their servant. faith
1: and the state of the Arab nations. The state. The state. What, exactly. exactly. What's happening?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: It's just a
0: sad. It's a sad reality It's a sad reality yeah. But yeah. Uh, One thing which The Holy Quran Also tells us yeah. Is that If there is n- A nation Or two nations Who are at war And they have differences With each other And You see that One nation is Oppressing Or one yeah. party is sort of <coughs> Getting out of their bounds And mm. doing too much Yeah Then they should They should They should try to resolve that if they can, mm. if they can't, then the third party should, should come, come in, in and intervene, intervene yeah. and sort of strive yeah. for peace. They should go yeah. to make sure that you know, even if they have to use force, uphold justice. Uphold justice. Exactly. And, but as soon as peace is established, then you know, yeah. retract and say, you know, this is this is what we wanted. We want peace to be established, and that's it. That's not not that you know, you come over, you yeah. take over, stop the hand of the oppressor. Stop basically. the hand of the that's oppressor. A, exactly. That's, that's what needs to be upheld. That's what needs to be. That's what needs to be done. And these are some things which are which are very very much important, isn't it? And Let's. Is, uh, I want to play a, a small. Uh, a, we had yes. an interview. Let's listen to that uh, right now as well.
4: I'm delighted, and I'm glad that we have Nizar Fawaz with us, who is a Palestinian-American political analyst with uh, extensive experience in the Israel-Palestine conflict as well as the U.S.'s Middle East policy also. Nizar served as an advisor to the last two Palestinian ambassadors and all from 2011 to 2017, and also worked as a political advisor for the Palestinian negotiation team from 2003 to 2008, working with President Abbas, Prime Minister Dr. Fayyad, and several ministries as well. Zirrkullah, thank you so much. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you on with us just Thank you for to having me. absolutely just to begin with your because you have such a, a wide range of expertise in regards to this and your experience as a political advisor for the Palestinian negotiation team what key insights can you share regarding the challenges and opportunities for Gaza in the aftermath of the current conflict Well, in this case, like in this specific war, the the level of carnage is just
6: so big. The number one priority would be to make uh, Gaza sustainable again for for living. So there needs to be a gargantuan uh, uh, initiative to provide the basic needs for the Gazan population to be able to live a a semi-normal life. So that would be the main challenge uh, because it's, it's very big, but also there are a lot of political, uh, even after the war, there's g- going to be a lot of political hurdles uh, for, for that. So that needs to be the number one priority. Now, as far as uh, opportunities, uh, also the level of carnage has made the whole world see uh, how we can no longer put up with conflict management and there really needs to be a conflict uh, resolution. So hopefully, or like what I would advise is that the the, the leadership needs to uh, capitalize on the goodwill that we are, we have and the focus, like the the fact that the whole world is now paying attention, to try to leverage a, a much more fair and equitable uh, peace process that leads to uh, um, a real uh, change for uh, the lives of Palestinians.
4: Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, of course, you're a political analysts as well, with a deep understanding of this whole policy, the U.S. Middle East policy as well. What do you think and how do you perceive the role of the United States in shaping the future trajectory of uh, the Gaza, of Gaza post-war? Well, the U.S., uh, as is
6: well known, has a lot of interest in the region and has uh, particularly special relationships, not only with Israel, but with different actors in the region. And, uh, of course, has a, a a specific challenge with iran uh, therefore there's a lot that the u.s uh, could do unfortunately uh, it's uh, choosing not to uh, because unfortunately mm-hmm. we still have too many people in the u.s uh, you know uh, politics not only like republican and democrats too many of them uh, still do not see the importance of conflict resolution and are uh, more than happy to just manage the conflict and, and that is a really big problem that, uh, so basically the US could uh, help and should play a big role, uh, but unfortunately I don't see it playing a, a, a positive role, at least uh, not for the uh, foreseeable future until the, the political class changes.
4: Now having advised Palestinian ambassadors to Washington, how do diplomatic relations and international engagement play into the prospect of Gaza's recovery and also reconstruction because we will know that uh you know, towns and cities have been destroyed correct so of course um, to
6: for those uh listeners who don't know uh, the palestinian representation in the u.s has been um, expelled uh, in 2017 by the trump administration uh, but uh, as far as uh, uh, you know with diplomatic uh, efforts in in dc the arab countries and allies of the palestinians have been basically doing uh, the bidding for palestine uh, on palestine's behalf and specifically on the issue of reconstruction surely gulf states arab gulf states are going to play a big role egypt given that it has the border with uh, uh, gaza is going to play a big role so all of these countries um should uh, take on the mantle of not only securing the, the financial and administrative needs of supplying that or providing their construction but also putting the necessary uh, political pressure to uh, uh, undo all the hurdles, political hurdles that uh, the pro-Israel lobby and the uh, American administration might put uh, for the successful uh, implementation of reconstruction in Gaza. We've we've seen that in the past, where mm-hmm. there were a lot of uh, there was billions of dollars that were earmarked, and then um, you didn't see action on the ground for a variety of reasons you have until today there are people from the 2008 war that uh, have yet to get their uh, houses rebuilt uh, because of money that was earmarked but never delivered
4: Mm. yeah that's interesting that's interesting do you because you've uh, you've, uh, given lectures as well so as a role as a lecturer of international affairs how can academic institutions contribute to fostering a better understanding of the you know the, the complexities surrounding the Israel-Palestine conflict, especially in relation to Gaza. Indeed. So one of the main challenges that the Palestinian cause has
6: had in the in the U.S. is that the Palestinian narrative is not welcome. So it's, it's extremely hard to push uh, back on the uh, pro-Zionist or pro-Israel narrative in academia. And when you do, uh, you are either dismissed or uh, you're attacked. And the Gaza uh, war, the, this latest uh, war... Uh, because of its carnage, uh, has had far more uh, pushback from Palestinians and pro-Palestinians on it on campus. Uh, that uh, unfortunately, too many academic institutions have opted for censorship and and basically, uh, uh, you know, uh, censure of students and faculty that dare, uh, you know, challenge the Israeli narrative. So I think the main. Uh, um, uh, let's say, work that needs to be done in academia now is just protecting uh, freedom of speech and keeping uh, uh, campuses uh, the space for uh, political discourse that is free and uh, rational. The, this, this witch hunt and, and, uh, and uh, censorship is, is bad for uh, academia.
4: It doesn't help anyone. Yeah, I mean, is it fair to say that there's no there's no justice, there's no absolute justice in, uh, in, in in terms of this? Because on one side they say one thing, and on the other side, when the same thing happens, they no one no one calls out, no one calls them out. Uh, do you believe that's the case?
6: Uh, yes, so there is the, uh, the 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 double standard of apathy, double right? Standard, so there is yeah. outrage over Ukraine, outrage over what happened to Israelis in October seventh. Uh, but then uh, very little uh, or uh, incommensurate uh, outrage over what's happening to Palestinians mm. or Arab and Muslim Americans for that matter. Like you had three Palestinian students shot in Vermont in, northern, in the north of the US, uh, and we didn't hear any task force to protect uh, Palestinian or Arab students, while uh, because a few uh, uh, Jewish American or Israeli faculty in, in US uh, schools felt uh, threatened or felt unsafe because of pro- the chance of some protesters, uh, three uh, Ivy League presidents have had to uh, explain themselves to Congress and two of them had to resign. So this mm-hmm. level of double standard is is very dangerous and um, only fuels uh, the sense with not only the new generation, but also general academia. Uh, that uh, academic institutions and their administrations are not trustworthy and they do they are not uh, protecting
4: the role that campuses are supposed to play exactly exactly now drawing on your work with palestinian leaders like president abbas and prime minister dr Fayyad, what policy recommendations do you have then for addressing the humanitarian and also, of course, the political challenges in Gaza once the conflicts of slowed.
6: So for sure, uh, nobody uh, you know, belittles the level of political schism between the two main political schools in Palestine, between the seculars and the Islamists. Uh, however, uh, uh, my advice would be that they need to separate the political from the humanitarian, uh, that there are ways to provide... For the Gazans and for the uh, you know the dignified life for Gazans, uh, while having a separate channel for the political uh, um, let's say discourse and the political uh, uh, dynamic that uh, needs to continue, needs, they need to come to an agreement. But even if they don't come to an agreement, that should not come at the expense of of the people of Gaza, and definitely the Gazans should not. After all of what happened, of course. Uh, more so, they shouldn't be used as pawns for, uh, you know, political gains or narrow uh, political interests. Absolutely. Absolutely.
4: If we had to sort of give a a message to to the leaders uh, of, uh, you know, United Nations, and of course, you know, world leaders as well, what would it be? What, what, What would you say to them to resolve this particular issue?
6: I would say that uh, for better or worse, uh, the the massacre in Gaza has exposed the fragility of the international system, that international law is being uh, flagrantly and like in real time on video through evidence with witnesses being violated. And uh, if the international community doesn't do something about it, the whole international system will really have very little value in, in real time so there is while this is a danger it's also an opportunity to sure. uh, uh, have international law actually uh, get teeth and get the international community to uh, Stand behind international law, and when there is genocide, there needs to be uh, consequences for those who perpetrate it. From any any, any side, it doesn't. Need, they don't need to take a side. They just need to take a position or a stance for uh, human rights and for international law. And, and there is a, um, a very important opportunity now because the whole world is watching,
4: and and the the case is so uh, obvious. Thank you. Thank you so much for powerful message as well. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and uh, it's been very insightful and uh, very enjoyable uh, listening to your expertise in regards to this matter as well. Thank you so much. Have a lovely rest of the day and peace be upon you.
3: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
0: Bismillah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Before the break, we were fortunate enough to listen to an interview of Nizar Farzakh, who is a Palestinian-American political analyst with the uh, extensive experience in this uh, whole war which is happening against Israel and Palestine we were also fortunate enough to interview John Quigley who is a scholar in international law from Columbus Ohio Uni- uh, U- United States of America and former faculty at the at the Ohio State University as well is he's also known for his uh, a- a- accessible books on the whole conflict between Israel-Palestine, such as the case for Palestine and the statehood of Palestine as well. Let's listen to that interview now.
4: Professor Quigley, based on your extensive research and expertise in public international law, how do you, how do you sort of foresee the legal implications for Gaza in the aftermath of the, of the ongoing conflict?
7: I think the aftermath is going to be extremely difficult. The IDF has destroyed much of the infrastructure of of Gaza. Uh, There are Israeli politicians saying, well, there's no place to which to return in those areas, in particular the northern part of of Gaza. Uh, And therefore solution is that these people should be uh, accepted somewhere else in the world. Uh, they should be dispersed. Uh, so I, I think it's looking very bad for quite a long time. The, the uh, extent of, of bombardment uh, and the deprivation of resources is such that the population is going to be suffering uh, physically and mentally uh, for a very long time. I and mean, when you deprive children of food for an extended period, uh, they do not develop normally. They will not have normal lifespan as adults. They will have diseases as adults. Um, so the, the population in in Significant measure is, is is being destroyed.
4: Exactly, exactly. Professor, in your in your book, the Six Day War and Israeli self defense, you talk about and you argue that Gaza was taken by Israel in an act of aggression in 1967. Now, bearing this in mind, keeping this in mind, how does this historical context sort of influence your perspective? On the future, of I know you just spoke about it as well. Um, but how does that sort of uh, influence your take on your perspective on the future of Gaza post-war?
7: Well, um, the fact that Gaza was taken in an act of aggression against Egypt, which held Gaza at that time, um, uh, means that the IDF has no business in being there. Um, uh, in the first place. Um, the uh, uh, IDF attempted to take Gaza in 1948 but was dissuaded by the United States and Britain uh, from doing so. This was in the the latter months of 1948. Then in 1956 the IDF invaded Gaza again, uh, uh, held it for a period of of about six months, and claimed that it was legally part of Israel. Uh, President Eisenhower forced Israel to uh, depart, uh, and then again in 1967, uh, the IDF uh, took it. Uh, so I, you know, I think all this means that the IDF is now going to be very reluctant to relinquish uh, control. Um, uh, even though it did relinquish administrative control in 2005. But, uh, but I think it's going to be very difficult now to get the, the IDF out of Gaza.
4: Very, very interesting. C- considering the complexities of, uh, of, of international law, what challenges and opportunities do you foresee and do you sort of envision for Gaza in terms of the whole getting back to how it was before the reconstruction uh, aspect of it as well. And, of course, addressing the virus of Gazans who were displaced in 1948.
7: Yes. Well, the international community has borne the cost of Israeli refusal to repatriate the, uh, the Gazan population, and the bulk of the Gazan population consists of families that were expelled from other areas of Palestine. Uh, in 1948, um, the the UN Relief and Works Agency was set up uh, by the UN for that purpose, and and it continues to uh, provide aid to the Palestinian population uh, in Gaza um, in regard to reconstruction. Uh, now, I mean, the, the task that The the UNRWA has had up to now uh, is going to be much more difficult. Uh, The Reconstruction is going to require huge amounts of of funding from the international community, Um, uh, uh, and it also requires the cooperation of the Israeli government to allow it uh, to happen.
4: Yeah, of course, of course, that's the, that's one of the major things or the major concerns as well, if they are willing to, enough to actually put that on the table. Professor, your, your work has delved into the right of return for Gazans, which of course, which were displaced in, in 1948. But how might this aspect sort of impact the post-war scenario when we talk about and when, when we have discussions uh, about justice and the repatriation, h- how, how do you think that, that can actually take force?
7: Well, I mean, in a way, there may be a silver lining uh, in the current situation. It brings home to the international community the importance of the repatriation uh, of Palestine refugees from Gaza, because it's now becoming even more obvious to the international community that the overpopulation of Gaza through the influx that occurred in 1948 uh, is not sustainable, uh, and therefore that the international community should increase its efforts to force Israel to repatriate uh, the 1948 refugees. Uh, They have a right to be repatriated. That has been uh, so said by the uh, Committee on Racial Discrimination that administers the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. Uh, It has been said by the General Assembly of the United Nations, which every year adopts uh, a resolution calling on Israel to repatriate the 1948 uh, refugees. Um, and now I think this situation uh, shows even more clearly that, that, than, uh, than before uh, that the repatriation really needs to be brought about. Otherwise, we'll continue to have a conflict over Gaza for years to come.
4: That's the, that's the thing, that's of, of course, that's what we don't, not, don't want. We don't want a situation where, the, where it gets worse and worse, the whole situation. Um, in your book, the, Le- the Legality of a Jewish State, you talk about and you explore a century of debate over rights in Palestine. How do these historical debates inform our understanding? of the current situation in Gaza and its potential future?
7: Well, I mean, there needs to be some kind of uh, acceptance of the concepts of Palestinian self-determination that would be reflected in uh, Palestinians being part of the governing structure of of historic Palestine. Um, the, Preferred solution of the international community has been that there there should be a state uh, that would encompass the uh, the territory of Gaza uh, and of the West Bank, uh, including uh, uh, parts of Jerusalem, at least East Jerusalem. Um, uh, so I I think the current situation is bringing to light even more than, than was seen before, uh, of the, the need for a long-term political solution to the situation. Of course, of course, that is, that's, that's what it is. Are you
4: optimistic that the, that the governments, the world governments, can come together and can sort of form a, form a solution, a, a real, a proper solution? Where there is where there is justice in place and, and ca- accountability as well, because without justice, without accountability, without rules or same rules for every single nation, without that, it seems like there can be no justice. Then, is it? What do you
7: think? Yes, I think that the issue of justice has been put on the international agenda uh, even more clearly than it had been before. Uh, by the government of South Africa uh, in filing a case for genocide uh, against Israel in the International Court of Justice. Um, The hearings that were held in that case uh, now uh, 10 days ago, I think showed to the world that the government of Israel acts in a way uh, that uh, does not regard international law uh, as being in need of, of observance, uh, and the issue of justice is, is central. Um, the South African government has characterized what is being done by Israel uh, as genocide, and the facts that they put forward uh, strongly support that conclusion. Uh, and I think uh, this is putting significant pressure on the western governments uh, to dissuade them from giving the support the financial support the military support that they have previously given to Israel
4: with bearing this uh, bearing this in mind bearing this all in mind do you think that there is a future for for the united nations and or do you think that it will face the same consequences or the same fate as, uh, as as the League of Nations after after the World Wars.
7: Yeah, I I think if the United Nations is uh, unable to deal with this conflict, which has been on the agenda of the United Nations uh, since uh, 1947, uh, that uh, it will call into question uh, the need for such an organization or the the effectiveness of the uh, United Nations. Uh, This is the basic reason that the United Nations was set up uh, to prevent warfare, uh, and it has shown itself uh, to be unable uh, to do that. Uh, You find the government of Israel openly disparaging the United Nations and saying that uh, the, that, uh, the IDF will do uh, what is ordered by the government of Israel regardless of what happens at the United Nations, regardless of what is said by the International Court of Justice. Uh, so you find a member state uh, openly defying the organization, and the organization is doing nothing in response. Uh, And this is largely due to the role of the United States in the Security Council, uh, of course. Um, But I I think the the fact that the United Nations has been doing so little, uh, and that the government of Israel is able to uh, disparage it without response, uh, really does call into question the existence of the UN.
4: Very, very interesting, very interesting there, Professor. Professor John, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, and uh, thank you so much. Hope you have a lovely rest of the day. Uh, It's been very beneficial speaking to you, very insightful as well in regards to the intricacies of the conflict of the war which is happening. Hopefully, there is a bright future ahead of us as well. We can only hope and pray for that one. Thank you so much once again. As-salamu alaykum, peace be upon you, and thank you so much.
7: Thank you.
0: So that was Professor John Quigley who we, who we spoke to earlier on as well. Let's listen to some advice which the Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Bin al Masul Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, his view on what the effect on the world would be due to the Palestine-Israel conflict. Let's listen to that really quickly. The situation between Israel and Palestine is very bad these days. What will be the effects on the world?
4: I have already spoken in my Friday sermon on this issue. The effect on the world is quite clear that these people are uh, trying to not only to harm themselves but they are trying to doom the world. The world is going towards its destruction. And uh, as I have already said, it is not going to stop here. It will escalate and more nations will be involved in it and quite possible that nuclear arsenal is also used in this war. So we should pray to save the world from the destruction. And we should pray that Allah Ta'ala give them wisdom and Allah Ta'ala give the capability and wisdom to the big powers to use.
8: Walil Asma Ul Husna
0: Fadu Biha
5: Albari is a word that emulates the whole of the creation of the universe. Allah calls himself Al-Bari, the originator, the maker, the evolver, on three occasions in the Holy Quran. He is the one who creates from out of nothing. He is not merely the first cause. He is the creator, the maker, the fashioner. And it is he who exercises control over the universe at all times. Al-Badi creates with no model or similarity and evolves that which is in perfect proportion and harmony without any fault. God is the Supreme Being who exists independently of everything else. He is the sole creator of the universe the maker of the heavens and the earth. No event occurs in the universe without God's knowledge and explicit consent. He is the ultimate source of every action and happening, animate or inanimate. God has not only created the galaxies and stars, but also the life forms of this earth. He is the nourisher and sustainer of all creation. He is their Lord. The holy attribute of Allah, Al-Bari, captures the creation of the whole of the universe, the quality of creating the universe out of nothingness and then perpetuating it into existence. This wonderful attribute aligns perfectly with the current scientific view about the creation of the universe from the Big Bang and its continuous expansion. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV, may Allah be pleased with him, shed light on this concept in his book, Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth, detailing how the Holy Qur'an is the only divine scripture to speak about the continuous expansion of the universe. He states, it should be remembered that the concept of the continuous expansion of the universe is exclusive to the Quran. No other divine scriptures even remotely hint at it. The discovery that the universe is constantly expanding is of prime significance to scientists because it helps create a better understanding of how the universe was initially created. It clearly explains the stage by stage process of creation in a manner which perfectly falls into step with the theory of the Big Bang. The Quran goes further and describes the entire cycle of the beginning, the end and the return again to a similar beginning. Highlighting the unique qualities of Allah. It is all the more important to ponder over this attribute while remembering Allah in order to attain his nearness and favor. This divine attribute, Al-Bari, depicts a wonderful view of the creation of the universe that continues to astound the modern man. Allah
7: the one
3: To the Voice
1: of Islam
8: Radio.
3: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day.
0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. As you know that the 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 International Day of Education is an annual sort of uh, an, an an annual day which is uh, held on the 24th of January. And that is exactly, that's exactly why we are talking about, we're talking about the, 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 the education, the right of education, hmm. how it, it it should not just be, it shouldn't be a privilege. It should be, it should be a right. Yeah. It should exactly. be a fundamental right that we have access to education. Hmm. As we have, as we, we spoke a, lo- a little bit about this earlier on as well, but here in the developed world, in the first world countries, we don't even have to think about education. We sort of, yeah, sort of take it for granted yeah. but in other countries developing countries we we see we look at their picture mm. their circumstances and they have to they have to earn yeah. they have to earn it
1: and you see see little kids and their desire is to go to school yeah. and be able to receive an education have books have pens but here we take it as like, like you said like a norm like a formality that we just have to fulfill
0: yeah that's a, that's what it is Now, when we talk about education, we can understand by the teachings of Islam that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him from the very outset. It's important for us to know what he said about education. And he said that it's a fundamental duty. It's incumbent upon every Muslim man and every Muslim woman to uh, to, 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 to attain education, to seek knowledge. And it's important for us to realise that because he didn't say that you know you should go out there and, and just seek education he said that it's it's your, it's your it's you need to do it it's your duty it's yeah. incumbent upon you yeah. it's one of your it's one of the commandments yeah obligatory it's, yeah. it's obligatory yeah. and that's uh, I think that's quite beautiful and quite powerful as well because a lot of people say this and that and they say they raise a lot of a lot of you know controversies yeah. and a lot of allegations in terms of that so we'll speak a little bit more yeah. in terms of uh, that as well but let's speak to our guest, Professor Stephen Courtney, who is a professor of sociology of education, and leadership, researching, and writing in a lot of different uh, about a lot of different things. Is also currently research director in the Manchester Institute of Education as well. peace be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the show, Stephen.
2: Good morning. Thank you for inviting me on today.
0: Thank you so much for for joining us. Just talking about the some of the challenges actually what are some of the key challenges currently facing the education sector both globally and and locally as well
2: well globally UNESCO has identified six major themes for its work in in education and to be honest I think these cover fairly well the main issues so the first one is protecting the rights to education Um, as you know um, in many countries access to education is negatively influenced by lots of factors, including conflict, poor educational infrastructure, and increasingly, directly or indirectly, climate change. The second one is strengthening education systems, and that includes how teachers are trained and led, what children are taught in the curriculum and how they're assessed. The third one is learning throughout life, and that takes a sector-based view of education, from early years right through higher education to adult learning. The fourth one is educating for peace and the planet, and that recognises the damage caused by, for example, unsustainable development and poor health. And it calls for solutions based on global citizenship education. The fifth one is gender equality in education. Mm. Um, One of the most reliable indicators of a nation's educational success, actually, is the extent to which pupils' mothers are educated. So educating girls has a disproportionately positive effect on the whole system. And the final theme is called reimagining education, and that covers areas such as digital learning and planetary ecological sustainability. So that's global, but locally we're having to deal with national versions of lots of these international themes, including the potentially disruptive or creative, depending on your view, role of AI in learning.
4: Mm, We've also got
2: really specific homegrown issues in England to deal with, and these include the chronic underfunding of schools, that's caused some acute problems during this broader cost-of-living crisis. Energy bills for schools last year were unaffordable, and that's meant that many schools have laid off teaching assistance to pay for energy. Wow. And that, in turn, has contributed to a secondary crisis in special educational needs provision, because obviously it was a lot of the teaching assistance that supported those. Um, low levels of capital funding for schools have also meant that reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, or rack, you may have heard of that, has not been replaced at the end of its lifespan. So lots of our schools are structurally unsound. And mm-hmm. there have been continuing reports in the media about that as well. There are also major issues with Ofsted, the school's inspectorate. Right. Um, their their inspections have long been associated with very high levels of stress in teachers and leaders and have mm-hmm. recently been found to have contributed to the death by suicide of the head teacher, Ruth Perry. So these and other factors have produced a crisis in school leadership with too many either not applying for headship roles or being forced out by ill health or following poor inspection results. Yeah. I've been researching this actually quite recently with Dr. Amanda McKay and Dr. Joanne Doherty at, at Manchester.
1: Right. Um, uh, um, what, would you, uh, what would you say the most, as you mentioned all the education sectors, what would you say is the most key and the most important sector?
2: Um, they've all got their part to play. Um, it's... Turns out from the research that, um, if in terms of getting a, a good return on investment, if you're coming at this from a state spending point of view, then investment in the early years pays the most dividends. And um, there have been administrations in the past that have recognised this. So, New Labour in the from the nineteen nineties to late nineties through the early noughties, they invested in short start centres. Um, because lots of the gaps that appear in attainment between the richest and poorest students appear extremely early on, extremely early. And Mm. so um, if you can, the research shows that if you can make a difference in those early years, then that has um, a continuing effect throughout the whole school system. So Mm. if if I was pushed, I would say early years, actually, yeah. Mm.
7: Professor,
0: you, you spoke about educating students as pupils mothers as well and how that can have a positive effect on, on society I just want to bring that back in as well how does education contribute to the overall development of individuals and then obviously individuals are the ones that make societies
2: um, there's actually a bit of a tension here um, mm. we've we've gone through a bit of a phase a 30 year phase please let it be a phase where um Education has been seen as an individual good. Right. Um and so the way that you framed the question is really interesting actually because it has been seen that society is particularly nothing more than a lot of individuals getting together. So if you if you give individuals what they want, then in the aggregate you end up with um benefits for society. Um that's actually a particular way of of looking at it and you can Argue that it hasn't really worked. Right. Um, what you end up with there is a privatized education system, um, which focuses on pleasing the individual and, and treating them as consumers, and um, giving them a, a choice or telling them they've got a choice, and they haven't actually got a choice, um, and arranging your education system around that. So, I mean, that's not actually helped, really. Um, if we want to get education to contribute to the overall development of society, then I would argue that it's more helpful to think of society in a communal sense and think of education as being for the public, for the common good, rather than for the individual. Hmm. So, um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, it's it's fairly well understood that if you educate a doctor, the doctor will the doctor's education will benefit society because he or she may well go and and treat um, you or your child or your mother in hospital or whatever. And so there's a kind of link there between the individual and society. But you could extend this principle. You could say that even so-called Mickey Mouse degrees like media studies, if if you educate a young person, have them do a degree in media studies, that will eventually contribute to raising the quality of society's debate on living in a post-truth environment, and that could potentially help improve democratic engagement. So, actually, media studies is probably one of the most useful degrees to possess if you want to effectively navigate the modern world, or if you want your citizens to be able to navigate it. Mm. Um, So... I would argue for a complete shift in how we look at education provision, away from primarily for the individual and towards education for the common good.
1: Mm. good. And um, you also mentioned at the start regarding gender equalities in the education system and uh, inequalities uh, in the educational uh, system still persists. What strategies do you think can be employed to address these uh, imbalances?
2: Um... Well, inequality in what passes through a school system in England is baked in um, through having between seventy and ninety different school types. I wrote an open access article about this in two thousand and fifteen, which um, listeners can access, called "Mapping School Types in England." Mm. And um, in it, I, I identified these these huge numbers of different school types, and um, I argued that organizing school provision around the principle of school choice rather than the public good, means that there are winners and losers, but mostly losers. Because by definition, only a few can attend those schools deemed most successful. Mm. And I wasn't even writing in my article about private schools. Those educate around 7% of the pupils in England, but in 2019 produced 39% of those in top jobs. So even if you take those out and just think about the public sector grammar schools and even other so-called normal types in more affluent areas, they tend to take the highest achieving students. And the other schools are left to tackle disproportionately the effects of higher poverty and reduced social capital. So my main strategy to reduce inequality would be to abolish private schools, and that's been done in Finland, it works, and also to abolish selective schooling. There's good research evidence that selection just doesn't work.
7: Mm -hmm.
1: And just as you mentioned, as you mentioned, uh, Finland. Would you because I heard they start the education system quite late, um, around seven or eight years old. Do you think that helps in the development of the child, or w- how we start here in the UK around three,
2: four? Um, I'm not an expert in. Early child development, from a psychological point of view and a child development point of view, mm. but it certainly is the case that it has not done Finland any harm whatsoever in starting late. Mm. They led international league tables for many years, um, despite starting school that little bit later.
0: Mm. Very interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Professor Stephen, it's been a, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you this morning. Getting your getting your take on this as well. Thank you so much for, for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Peace be upon you. And with that, we'll you know we'll move on to our our next guest as well. It was interesting speaking to Professor Professor Stephen there as well. But let's speak to Sarah, Dr. Sarah Black, who has contributed to the field of education for for seventeen years now, and uh, holding uh, holding various roles that showcase a commitment to to all of these you know enhancing educational practices. Also teaches. Dr. Black teaches and serves as deputy director of the MA in Educational Management at King's College London. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show, Doctor.
8: Good morning. Thank you very much and greetings to your listeners.
0: Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, the the International Day of Education focuses on on the on the emphasis on the importance of education globally. Just for the benefit of the listener, can can you just express? your your views on why education is is and should be a basic human right
8: i think that um we've placed education with such importance as a fundamental human right simply because people are not able to really participate in the world as full citizens conscientious of power dynamics conscientious of opportunities available to them people can't really exercise their full freedom whether they are in the Global South, in the UK, or anywhere else for that matter, if they lack access to knowledge, and they lack the critical skills to engage with knowledge in a meaningful and agentic way. Hmm. So if somebody hasn't had access to literacy, and I don't just mean um, language, but also things like digital literacy, being politically literate, when you are bombarded with enormous amounts of information from Disparating, contradictory media sources being able to for example decipher what numbers mean in an increasingly quantified world then you aren't actually able to make free informed choices about your life and your actions
0: interesting interesting and just to lead on from that as well in your work you've dealt with education structures and different systems as well Obviously, when there are different things in this, in this, in this sector, in the whole education system, there, there are challenges in that as well. So, what changes do you think are important to make the the whole education system more effective and, I mean, relatively more fair as well?
8: Oh, this issue of, of effectiveness and fairness is, is a common topic in in the research I do, and um, as, as Prof Courtney was saying to you previously, with your your previous guest. We have these, we've built these systems over time that are promoting inequality, sadly, through mm. the way that they stratify and contour power relationships and reproduce inequality. But it was really interesting to me on, on thinking about this question that UNESCO last year identified that public education systems around the world are grossly underfunded. Mm. They estimate approximately 100 billion US dollars shortfall or approximately 21% of the budget required to meet the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. Mm. And that's been a story that has been creeping up on us, not just here in the UK, but all over the world for the last 40 years, as governments have retreated from their duty to their citizens to fully fund and provide accessible public education systems that provide students with meaningful opportunities Just this week, we've seen BBC Panorama talking about the way that school infrastructure here in the United Kingdom is crumbling. Mm. I'm from South Africa, and that is a problem we have had for a very long time. But even allegedly wealthy nation states like the United Kingdom now are starting to reap the consequences of gross underfunding in Mm. their public education systems, which serve the most marginalized and the poorest immigrant children, children from marginalized communities. So as a citizenry, if we do not address this problem of underfunding public systems, allowing unaccountable private actors to insert themselves into streams of revenue where they can siphon off public taxpayer money towards their private benefit and really hold the state accountable for its citizens, its, its, its responsibility to its citizens, we're just going to see more inequality. Um, and and less effective systems going forward.
1: Mm. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, regarding the global socioeconomic inequalities, how does having access to good education help tackle that, especially, you know, um, breaking the cycle of poverty?
8: One of the things that strikes me when I speak to my, my master's students in my class is that I start often a module, my modules with the question to them: Are they happy with the state of the world? Mm. And I have yet to have a student raise their hand and say, "Yeah, everything feels great." People are deeply aware that we face a myriad of complex, intertwined problems. Mm. And one of the things that education right now is not doing is encouraging our students to identify those problems and dream up different solutions. We are encouraging our students to do more of the same. Get a great mm. mark in your math. Get a great mark in your English. Get mm. your progress at school. Get your GCSE. Get a good job. This is the logic we've been having for the last you know, 50 years. And what it does is it reproduces more of the same. Understandably, young people around the world are saying, hang on, this is not producing the promise you said it would. This is not giving me a good life. This is not producing a stable and peaceful society. Mm. Why should I participate in an education system that says do more of the same so i think in terms of education's role in tackling inequality we need to be having the courage to say you know what we need to do this differently we are not educating our students to imagine a more peaceful just and stable future we are asking them to invest in the promise of a future that looks like the present and who can blame young people these days for saying well the present doesn't look very nice
1: Mm. Um, yeah especially with the ongoing conflicts that we see all around the world absolutely yeah absolutely yeah Um, and how can addressing education challenges contribute to international peace and development as we just discussed
8: well yeah coming back to the the things we were discussing earlier around different forms of literacy Mm. right now I think one of the most important things that a public education system should do, and yet at the moment we are not doing it, is really encouraging students to be critical producers and consumers of contradictory and confusing information. If you just look, for example, at how many people are uninformed on the kinds of conflicts going on around the world, how easily misled people can be Mm -hmm. in terms of understanding the origins of conflicts, their histories, the different positions and um, actors involved these are not things that we are addressing properly in our education systems we're saying hey let's do more stem subjects we need Mm. to have more engineers mathematics coders and technology and i i don't know if equipping our students to be effective coders and and engineers who lack compassion or understanding of complex situations is exactly what the world needs right now. Mm. So if we want to really try and imagine a different kind of future where, as you say, there is more international peace, understanding, uh, ability to appreciate complex social situations um, in all of their totality, then focusing on just these narrow, measurable skills, like how many words can you read a minute and can you characterize quadratic equations is not the skills and knowledge that our, our children are going to need to navigate that social world. Mm. We need more history. We need more um, training in the social sciences, the arts as well. I think artists are fundamental in communicating uh, important stories and imagining how it feels to be someone different to yourself. Mm. And right now our focus on this narrow maths and science obsession because that's what drives technology and a very narrow definition of economic growth is not going to help us to pursue that goal of of international peace and and, uh, cooperation.
1: Yeah. And lastly, you know, regarding, you just mentioned that we need more compassion in the world. Do you think it would be a good way to move towards um, more education systems regarding spirituality and religion and God so that, you know, what we see going on around the world can move the world can move to a better place. You think that could help?
8: The place of spirituality in education systems is always a, a tricky issue because it obviously, with all forms of belief systems, one can have uh, interpretations of them that are compassionate, that are mm. focused on um, fostering understanding, accepting difference, being able to talk across conflict, and to appreciate the other. And then, of course, there are also always, even in secular systems, formats that can encourage uh, reproduction of the same ideas and a an unwillingness to engage with difference. But, of course, human beings are often spiritual beings. People bring belief systems about morality and ethics. Uh, religious frameworks are one way of exploring frameworks for morality and ethics. And I think that, at the moment, educators and schools that are quite scared of these thorny topics of going towards discussing ethics of talking about morality and how difficult it can be to decide what is good and what is right and if Mm. spirituality offers frameworks for discussing that with children well those are useful tools for educators
1: Uh, Dr. Sarah Black thank you very much for joining us today it was really a pleasure speaking to you
8: thank you very much
1: and peace be
0: upon you, thank you I think both of our guest uh, guests spoke uh, quite quite eloquently in, in the in this matter as well when it comes to education and when it comes to you know the, the betterment of uh, the whole society at large as well yeah. and uh, she mentioned that you know it's uh, w- what's the what's the point of getting these high high degrees yeah. being good in maths and science exactly. and all of these things if you're not even going to have compassion for you know for humanity, for, for, for humanity. And, what, and what's the difference then between between them and, and exactly. robots yeah There's exactly. no, what's the difference if and, they...
1: and that leans into especially in islam because um human rights mm. uh, rights of humans and rights for god is exactly that's what it teaches us right yeah, yeah. islam so what she said was quite uh, on the dot in according to Islam as well.
0: You know, Islam teaches that uh, this, this education and spirituality is linked. Yeah, it goes hand-to-hand. Hand, yeah. It goes hand-to-hand. Hand. It goes in hand-to-hand. Hand. Because if you excel in your knowledge, if you excel in all of these different uh, subjects and topics and whatever, then that is something which, which leads you to the realization that there is a God. Exactly. And that is that is the whole point of, of education as well, to, yeah. to actually understand what for, yes, for our existence. Yes, exactly. If we if we are just taking it for granted, if we just say that, you know, our education is just for us and we're going to, you know, make ro- make mm. robots or advancing technology and all of that, forget God mm. then that will lead you to your destruction. Yeah, exactly. But if we bring what we're God seeing Almighty, the world going through yeah, right now. That's the thing. But if we bring God Almighty into the yeah. picture and we're doing it for God Almighty mm. Then we can then we can you know yeah. truly benefit from mm-hmm. all of these these different things and, as well.
1: And as you mentioned, the more we seek knowledge, the more we move towards God. Um, it's rightly so because if you look at m- all the major scientists mm. uh, that have passed in the world, initially they, they they have quotes mentioning that I started off my science journey believing that there was no God. But as I as I finished my journey mm-hmm. into science and um, uh, seeking knowledge about this world I realise that
0: there must be a creator there must, there must be a creator so exactly. yes yeah, so
1: the more knowledge we seek the more realisation we get that there ought to be a creator I mean, of this the, the
0: Holy Quran tells us as well it instructs us to, to look at different things look, to search yeah, for the ponder, signs yeah. to ponder over these signs and then we will realise that yes there is a God as well yeah, a living God exactly. but uh, that's all we have time for uh, in our show this morning Thank you to all the guests who took time out and spoke to spoke to us as well. And, of course, thank you to the producer, tamsila Khuram, and also the, uh, the the researchers as well, Hania Yaqub, Razia Chaudhry, Malika Kamar, Maida, Arisha, Sarah, and Noura as well. Of course, thank you to the technical department, to you, Abdul Halim, as well. Until next time, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you.